0: If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up from the rewatch to the Q&A. We will have loads of content every week. So sign up patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. Uh, Spring cleaning. Have you started it yet? The carpets need cleaning. The drapes need dusting. Your lawn needs mowing. Spring has sprung. And the global leaders in below the waist grooming have the best tools for cleaning aisle five in your pants. Time to (laughs) clear out your winter bush and join the four million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVERE MMA. and M-M. Manskept has the full package you need for spring cleaning this year. The Performance Package 4.0 is the only tool you need to keep your boys looking and smelling f- like fresh tulips that your partner would want. To start off your spring cleaning, use the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Uh, waterproof. It has a light. No need to worry about watering the, <laughs> the grass with this tool. Uh, and as well, that light in the shower is absolutely fantastic. Clear your holes and smell the spring air with the weed whacker, nose, and ear hair trimmer. That has that magnificent proprietary skin safe technology which helps to prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Then you can have the crop preserver. Uh, preserver, even and the crop reviver. That crop preserver is fantastic, it's anti chafing ball deodorant, and the reviver is a spray on toner for your balls. Keep them boys from sticking to your leg and smelling fresh like flowers. And finish off your grooming routine uh, with the Plow 2.0, the perfect razor for the finest shave in your face. Ooh, ooh this is the first time hearing about that. Manscaped, send me out one of them. I, I'm gonna need one of them. Because if you're using the Lawnmower 4.0, on your balls, on your face, you're doing it wrong, boys, which is fair. The start of spring also marks the start of Testicular Cancer Awareness Month in April. Uh, Manscaped has partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to bring awareness to testicular cancer, men's health, and early cancer detection. Manscaped is committed to raising awareness for uh, the most common form of cancer in men aged uh, 15 to 35 and giving support for fighters, survivors, and families impacted. By testicular cancer cancer as part of the we save balls initiative so smell as fresh and clean as you can this spring and check yourself before you wreck yourself call to action for everyone now is 20% off and free shipping with that code severe that's 20% off with free shipping using the code severe it's time to throw out your old hygiene habits and
1: upgrade your life with our friends over at Manscape, And we are live. No countdown this week. Fuck the countdown. We said it's UFC 273 and we have a monster card to talk about tonight. As I'm joined by my three brethrens, Harry Powell, Spencer Kite and Shawnee T. Pods. And we're going to go balls deep into this card. I cannot wait. There's... I mean, look, I'm going to let, let me set the scene. This is, I don't know whether it's because we haven't had a card for two weeks, but this is the type of card for me that has me lying awake at night before I go to sleep and I'm staring at the ceiling and have my hands rested on my chest. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen in this fight? And what happens if he does this? And I'm just trying to figure it out. And I was awake since I woke up at half six this morning. And I couldn't wait to come on here and talk to you guys about this card. This uh, this is the card we exactly need for without having any UFC fights for two weeks. Two title fights. Alex Wolkonofsky versus a Korean zombie. Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. Another monster fight with Gilbert Burns and Hamza Shimaev. Our own Ian Gary is fighting Darian Weeks and plenty of others. And I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Um, and we're going to go straight in at the main event. Um, and I'm going to talk about the Korean zombie first. Because for me, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Korean zombie. I, it's His fight with Denner Garcia was when somebody asked me, oh, what's this MMA all about? Or Show me a good fight in mixed martial arts I I whipped out my phone Couldn't wait to bring it out And I used to throw on Korean zombie Versus Leonard Garcia And I was like there you go champ Have a load of that And then they're hooked on MMA And he's He's actually progressed as kind of a reckless fighter into this, you know. I think the the time he's had away um, for for kind of the services for Korea, he went over to the army. There, he kind of came back as a little bit of a different fighter, not as reckless, a little bit more technical. Um, he 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 got a championship uh, title uh, shot with his old style, didn't work out for him with the shoulder injury with Aldo. He's getting a second crack here. I'm delighted he's getting a second crack here, but. I think, unfortunately, for a Korean zombie, he's getting a title shot against an absolute demon in Alexander Volkanovsky. And I'll go to you first, John Sheen. I mean, we know the skills that a Korean zombie possesses. Um, we know what Alex Volkanovsky brings to the table. Um, a very underrated fighter, I believe, Volkanovsky is in, in many terms. And the question I have for you is if you're a fan here, how does Creed and Zombie does it? We've seen Volkanovsky in there with the absolute very best. We've seen him defeat Max Holloway twice. We've seen him go up against the best version of Brian Ortega in the last fight and and, and take out numerous other people on the way to the, the title as well. So, I mean, if you're the coach of Creed and Zombie, how do you approach this fight? How do you solve the puzzle of Alex Volkanovsky?
0: Do you know, that's a question we ask going into lots of fights. And sometimes in fights, it's it's not the way to do it. But in this one, it absolutely is like how it, it is. The question to ask here, because we look, sometimes fighters are overrated, right? And sometimes fighters are underrated and they get to a level and we see them come up against each other. And people are kind of saying like, Oh, how does he fight to uh, find a way to win when his opponents are the fighter himself? Both of them can have ways to win. Absolutely. With this one, I think you, I, I think you need hit the nail the head there. Like how, how does the Korean Zombie win this fight? I don't know, honestly. I honestly don't know. Like I've gone back and I've watched a bit of the Korean Zombies, a good bit of the Korean Zombies fight. Obviously, for this and the seventy-four other previews I've, I've seemingly done this week, as as we all tend to do these days. Um, and I find it very hard. And you know what? As you said that there, and you talked about his style changing a little bit, and you're absolutely right. I think maybe going back to that old style. Might be a way to get it done here because you know, I, I spoke a little bit about Algernon Sterling, uh, and we, we we talk about that obviously later on. Maybe needing to go in and, and finish it early here. Maybe the way for the Korean zombie to get it done here is to go down that old road, go to that old style, go balls out and go straight at Volkanovsky and try to finish him. Now, I say that because if he goes into a technical matchup with Volkanovsky, I would almost be completely sure that he will lose that fight because I think Volkanovsky is one of those guys I mentioned earlier who is vastly 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 underrated this guy should be seen as one of the best fighters in the world he should be up there near the top of the pound for pound rankings and I know there are mythical rankings and all but there are fighters above him on those who are not as good a fighter as he is and I think I've said this before but I think it's because he's a harder fighter to understand than other fighters because, because he is so good Uh, and it's sometimes harder to break him down and explain to people why he is so good. Apart from saying, he's so technical. You know, it's very hard to hit. He hits you, and it's also harder when he's just fought Max Holloway twice because Max Holloway is so good, and you're saying, oh, well, he didn't finish him. It was a close fight. I have to have a close fight with Max Holloway. Do you know how good you have to be? Now, is the Korean Zombie good enough to have a close fight with Max Holloway? I'm not sure. Is he good enough to have a close fight with Alexander Volkanovsky this Saturday night? I don't think so. So for me to, you know, to, to kind of to, to answer your question, I, I think the way he gets it done is to go out, go balls out and try his best to get that finish early.
1: Yeah, indeed. I I'll, I'll go to you next, Harry. Uh, after I'll go to Spencer first. I mean, I, I'll get to the nooks and crannies with you about the fight. Um, I just want to talk and, and ask Spencer. Why do you feel Spencer that Volkanovski isn't really getting the credit that he deserves there's not people shouting from the rooftops there doesn't seem to be a super big buzz anytime he fights I love watching him fight like i mean anytime he goes in there he sets an unbelievable place. fight IQ is excellent and and has the heart of a lion as well he truly is a really great and it's about time i think we start talking about about him as one of the greatest 145 pounders of all time
2: Yeah, I mean, that part is that part to me is is indisputable, right? Like he's 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 beaten the other two guys that would be on the list. So if it's a three-man list, he's beaten the other two. He's three and oh against those other two fighters, being Max Holloway and Jose Aldo. Um part of the reason that he's underrated goes to what Shawnee T. Pods was saying earlier, right? He's he's sort of a hard fighter to define and to explain why he's so good, because there isn't one area that is just lights out. You can't say, well, he's he's the best grappler in, in the division, or he's the best boxer in the division, or he's any of those things. The things that he's so great at are he's got an off-the-charts fight IQ, and tactically, in terms of, and especially in terms of his in-fight management of things, it's unmatched. Like, he makes adjustments better than most. I mean, better than just about anybody, for in in my opinion. And I think he is maybe the best fighter in the sport right now. The other part of it, and this is just my opinion as one Canadian sitting here having opinions, being asked these questions, is because people love Max Holloway and they don't want to love the guy that beat Max Holloway. And people love Brian Ortega and they don't want to love the guy that beat the bejesus out of Brian Ortega. I mean, you saw that in Houston, in Houston, right? Like Volkanovski's up 3-0 through three rounds, beating the absolute face off of Brian Ortega and the crowd in Houston just starts chanting Ortega. Now, there's Latin influence in Houston. Ortega is from a Latin background, things like that, American, American. Don't want to cheer for the, the Australian guy against a bunch of American. But like, this is one of those fights to me where if, if we're going to see him be supported, this might be the opportunity, but that's not going to be the case because he's fight- facing another super fan favorite. And he's, I think he's just going to be that guy. And and he's talked about it and he's sort of accepted it. that like, I'm done trying to win everybody over and please everybody and do all the things that, you know, you're supposed to do in order to, to become a fan favorite. He's got a great YouTube channel. He's a great presence on Instagram. I love his cooking stuff. I've talked to him about it. We've had a few laughs. I think he should make some stupid little bulls shirts. And, and run that hashtag out there all the time. I think he's phenomenal, and I, I think this should be the kind of fight and the kind of performance where a lot of people are forced to give him his due, because if he goes out and smashes the Korean zombie the way that I think he's going to go out and smash the Korean zombie on Saturday, there's no way to not give it to him, but people will still not give it to him, because that's just the way it goes
1: absolutely yeah it's well said spencer i mean i love his personality too and he actually did say that at the uh the, the press conference before the fight is that he's not trying to be anything anymore he just wants to be himself and he doesn't give a shit about what anybody else thinks and he does all of his talking inside the cage doesn't he harry i mean like i mentioned at the very start uh the fact that korean zombie had changed his style and i'm glad that sean mentioned it too because it was kind of along the lines as well i was thinking as well because I, I went back and watched the Dan Eager fight and, uh, and I was looking to see if, if that pressure that Korean zombie normally puts on in his fight was there and how he might be able to use that against Alex Volkanovsky, but it simply wasn't there against Danny. He actually fought on the back foot in that fight. And I don't think he can do the same this fight against somebody like Volkanovsky.
3: Yeah. I'm I'm going to echo some of the sentiments from Sean Teapods pods and, and E Spencer kite and, you know, look, I'm going to, I'm going to start this, my analysis of this fight by saying MMA moves very quickly and five years out of the sport is an enormous amount of time to be away. The Korean zombie fights in a style that gets obliterated by modern MMA. He has a fantastic right hand. He's got a great submission game, but that's just not enough. It's just not enough. You look at Alexander Volkanovsky, look at the way that he moves his feet. We'll just start there. Look at the way he moves his feet. He's never in a lateral line. He's always cutting an angle. His feints force you to bite. His leg kicks are fantastic. He's always striking up. Like The Ortega fight, and this is going to be an interesting wrinkle in this fight, I think is the height, the, the height difference. In Ortega, look at the way that he was able to bridge that gap. He starts with leg kicks. He circles off. He forces Brian Ortega to take a step forward. He meets him in that. He meets him in that gap. He is making fighters do things they don't even know that they're doing. In a recent fight, uh, in a recent interview, Volkanovsky was saying with the Aldo fight, he had to force Aldo to square up constantly. Because if you stand and trade with Aldo, you're fucked. He's too good. And he's he's always going to be in a perfect position. His words, not mine. And what did he do? He forced Aldo to make mistakes. He forced Aldo to square up, and he forced Aldo to move. And if you watch the Dan Ige fight with with the Korean Zombie, or if you look at, even if you watch the more higher volume fight against Yair, right? Korean Zombie waits. If you wait against Alexander Volkanovsky, you're fucked. He's going to batter your leg, and he's going to punch the head off you. He's going to mix in takedowns. He's going to pressure you. And you're going to find yourself behind that, qu- the doomed quadrant of the cage, where you're, the only way backwards is the cage itself. And that is not a place you want to be because Alexander Volkanovsky will drown you there. He will drown you. Now, if you look at the, the actual Ortega fight, specifically for Volkanovsky, his ability. He he establishes this very, very early. And I think this is going to happen in, in, in the Korean zombie fight too. He shows Ortega three looks. He catches Ortega very, very far out. He catches a kick and trades a kick back. He catches him in the mid range when Ortega's stepping in, lands a sweet jab, and then he forces his way all the way inside and lands a nice one, too. He's telling Ortega immediately wherever you go, I'm there and I'm better. And I think that's the first thing that's going to happen. Jesus Christ. Lee Hammond would smoke them both, lads. What are we doing? Um, <laughs> fuck me. Uh, sorry,
1: sorry, Harry. Sorry,
3: Jesus. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that's going to happen very early, and Alexander Volkanovski is going to demand respect in there. What
1: you what you said, Harry, there for a second is what something that I noticed with Volkanovski as well is that his ability to dictate the pace from the outside when both fighters are in the middle of the cage is excellent, but he has that footwork. That he wants to get him, a, if you want to call it, the outer black ring on the cage. And once he gets his guys there, that's when he does most of his work. That's when he does most of his damage.
0: Have you not, Have you noticed as well, just to kind of echo both the points you're saying there. For, and Harry mentioned it, and I think you maybe both mentioned it the 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 height difference here he actually fights like a very tall fighter because he kind of if if you think about it right the diagonal is longer than the fucking straight and he fights from like a back foot to like a front hand in a very kind of stretched manner where he can kind of come up at that fighter like that and might you know uh, that's obviously by design, but it's a thing that maybe it, I don't know why I keep saying this point about Volkanovsky, but it's, it's, I think he's a harder fighter to just understand why he's good because of small things like that. And I agree. I see Thomas there saying he's got Volk going to finish him. And I, I was, I, I said it in one of my previews and I said it, I, I picked Volkanovsky to get the finish. And he said it as well in one of the embedded that he wants to get the finish. And it's a thing in his mind. And uh, do you know what? Having listened to Harry talk there and Spencer and, and yourself, Ian, as well, I think he could do it. I really think he could do it.
1: It's kind of set up for him to do it, I think. This is kind of his, an exciting guy who will go and... and like we can hindsight is a great thing, but we're thinking that Korean zombie is going to stand and bang with him. So it's set up for Volkanovski. Another thing that amazed me about Volkanovski was his gas tank. The man just does not get tired. And especially with the pace that he sets as well, he definitely has a third lung or something hidden, <laughs> hidden in there somewhere. But I mean, I think we're all in uh, seeing and off the same him, him, she here. We're all thinking that Volkanovsky is going to go out there and get the finish and further cement himself. Um, as the featherweight great, um, which brings us down to Spencer's favorite division, the bantamweight division, and man, when we're talking about great fighters, let's 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 start talking about Peter Jan again. Um, and also look at I, I want to talk about Jan a little bit first. Uh, I think he's absolutely excellent. I think he's defensively he's excellent. Uh, on the attack he's excellent. You're not safe when you're standing in front of Peter Jan, You're not safe at distance. You're not safe in the pocket. You're not safe in the clinch. You're not safe when he's underneath you. You're unsafe when he's on top. He's just dangerous everywhere. If he's not punching you in the face, he's kicking you in the leg. If you think you're going to get in and clinch him to kind of teeter some of that damage, he's going to trip you up. He's going to sweep you. Uh, he might throw the odd old illegal knee and headbutt as well. you know. And and to be honest, it, we're when you're talking about Peter Yan, I think he's had two moments of madness in his career so far. And, and that was the knee against Sterling in his last fight and, and the last fight against Sterling. And he, when he turned the, the, the headbutt against Magomed as well, the, the headbutt pretty much cost him the fight in that fight in the last round. He threw the headbutt, got docked duck, the point, and it probably cost him his first defeat. So, I mean, without those two moments of madness, Peter Jan hasn't really been, been touched. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. Going on to Aljamain Sterling, I think some of his critics were a little too harsh in the first fight. I thought he didn't do he didn't do terrible, but he didn't do great at the same time either. He did all way
3: better than people give him credit for. He's
1: going to way, be way better. Be. Yeah, no, he's going to be way better. And I mean, the the antics after the fight, and we could talk about it for five or ten minutes. There are antics there that didn't play any favor to him uh, in his likability charts. And I think, I mean. This is going to be a close fight, and this is going to be a really, really good competitive fight. And I'll go to you first, Spencer, and I just want you your assessment on the kind of game plan that Aljamain Sterling brought into that first fight, which was I believe he wanted to fight at a pace so that he could not allow Peter Jan to set and land these heavy shots. And unfortunately for Aljamain Sterling, he was not able to last that pace because he looked tired. And I think, should he do the same thing coming into this fight? Or do you think he should fight more in spurts?
2: So he went into that first fight, and I I talked to Aljo before this fight.
1: Um, He went
2: into that first one, had a not great weight cut, and then a terrible day sort of getting himself ready for the fight. Didn't eat a lot the morning of the fight, felt off all day. And thought, I can go out here and sprint out to a three-round lead. Just go all gas, no brakes, put it on him while this guy that is is historically kind of slow to get started and takes his time making his reads and things like that. Sprint out for for three rounds, get up on the cards and then try to hold on. And those are his words. Just try to survive the last 10 minutes and win a decision that way. And he couldn't do it. And he said in hindsight like it's a bad it's a bad decision. It was a bad approach seeing as as well as I did and as as fast as I was able to go early, I should have adjusted because I had more in me than I than I thought I did. I think it's a, I think there's elements of it that are the right game plan. I think Aljo's best performances, I mean especially the Corey Sandhagen fight, are when he comes out and can can surprise you and can catch you early when you're dry and he can grapple and he can become a backpack and he can just start attacking. And especially against a guy like Peter Yan that that wants to take his time and set up and figure you out. The problem to me this time around is that Peter Yan's already been in there with Aljamain Sterling for nearly 20 minutes. So there's not as much, got to make my reads, got to get a sense of his range, got to feel him out, got to see what he's doing. He knows. Also, Peter Yan's pretty pissed off. (laughs) He he really is not happy about that. Like Aljo has said, I think I think he respects me. I think he respects my talent. I respect him. Look, he's a great fighter. Not to take anything away from him. I just think I'm the better man. Flat out asked Peter Yan. Going to respect this dude when it's done. Do you have respect for him as a fighter? I know there's some tension. No, don't respect him as a fighter. Don't respect him as a man. Want to beat the shit out of him and then just move on. I'm never going to think about him again. I'm going to send him back to the prelims. This is the last you're ever going to hear of Aljamain Sterling. And that version of Peter Yan, combined with all the things you said correctly at the intro to this, makes me very worried for Aljamain Sterling if he can't go out there and start at the absolute best version of what he tried to do last time. I think he needs to come out, and he does need to be not all gas, but mostly gas out of the shoot. Get out there and try to get on Peter Yan and try to finish him early, try to build a lead and then see if you can not necessarily hold on but if you can get up 2-0 then you only got to win one out of three and your your chances are better if you come out and you're down 0-1 or you're down 0-2 to this guy there's no coming back cuz he's just he gets better as it goes on and he's just going to keep putting it on you and i don't think aljo has the striking skills to go into that kind of fight with peter yan this needs to be grappling early get some of that build up in his in his body wear him out a little bit make him defend put it on him and get out to a lead or ideally finish him and then see what happens but peter yan is i mean the 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 scariest thing for the bantamweight division was peter yan fighting Corey sanhagen and and beating him the way that he did because that was one of the questions right oh well this guy hasn't fought a top five guy yet and haven't seen him and Aljo did okay against him early and whatever, whatever, whatever. And then he goes out and he puts it on Corey Sanhagen. And a lot of people thought it was a super close fight. I didn't think it was that close. I thought Peter Yan dominated the fight and, and was kind of a quarter or or a half step ahead the whole way, which is a testament to how good Corey Sanhagen is as well. But it also showed that Peter Yan is, I think a step a step ahead of everybody. And I think we see that on
1: Saturday. Indeed, yeah, very well said. I mean, for me, a part of that first fight as well, and a part of a lot of Peter Jan's. I mentioned it at the intro, Harry, and I'll mention it again. Is that I feel that Peter Jan is so confident and confident in his defense that you know he somewhat allows his opponent to come on to him, and I think that kind of, I think Aldo taught or Aljo thought he was being more successful in that first fight than he actually was he landed the good knee it was a glancing knee it was a good knee but he also threw and and thought he landed a lot of punches a lot of arm punches Yeah, Jan got out of the way of a lot more he's checking leg kicks you know he kind of lulls his opponents into this false sense of security and gets them to kind of drain their tank through attack Um, would you kind of agree with that assessment
3: I wouldn't I wouldn't I think I definitely would that Jan is, is, is a bit of the Floyd Mayweather, right? He's like, show him what you've got in these first five. This is a five-round fight, my friend. I'm going to be here at the end of the fifth. Are you? And he's asking that question, and he is asking that question. He's allowing you to touch him. He's allowing you to push him around a bit. He's allowing you to grapple. He's allowing you to do these things because he's confident everywhere. That's obvious, right? And I think also it was obvious when, when Spencer just said that Aljo... Aljo's original game plan was, I'm gonna just going to try and absolutely batter him for three rounds, win those three rounds, and then hold on. It was clear that that was the game plan. But there were a few things that Aljo was doing really, really well. Most notably, the bodywork, right? It is absolutely correct that Aljo was tired, gassed, fucked by the time the fourth was coming. But so was Piotr Jan. Piotr Jan was tired. That bodywork was adding up. And I think in this fight, if I'm Aljo, I'm going right back to the well. Why? Because Jan stands in that style of stance that his legs are quite close together because it allows him to to kick and move and whatever. But his hands are usually in that very tight, very high guard. So that body is there all the way. And Aljo is an extremely long man. And those long liver shots and the shots up the middle and then the teeps up the middle, they're there. And what happened every time Piotr Jan took Aljo down? Did he follow him? Of course he fucking did. not Why would he, right? You don't go into somebody's best suit. So Aljo can take risks with those shots, right? But for me, the thing here is Aljo, to me, at the very critical moments of his game, is too sloppy to really come close to Pyotr Jan. Whereas Piotr Jan is perfect. They both have absolutely fantastic versatility in their strikes and their takedowns. But at the very crux moment, at the crucial points, Sterling fails and Jan doesn't. And I'm going to highlight two of those moments and then I'll I'll pass it over and I'll stop ranting. The first is for Piotr Jan. I think it's fourth round. Uh, There's 2.49 on the clock. I'm just going to read my notes. I wrote so many fucking words for my notes on this fight, lads. Fourth round, 2.49 on the clock. Aljo throws a left and ducks in for a takedown. Jan meets him by loading up a big body kick, which Aljo eats. Yan then transitions to a cross face and a tricep grip. He cuts the outside ankles with so hip to hip and backless backless scissor sweeps Aljo to the mat. I wrote then, come the fuck on man. So good and he just does it again 20 seconds later. This time off an Aljo stepping. If Aljo tries that, he ends up falling over himself. Piotr Jan hits it and nails it. Right? And I think that is a huge, huge difference everyone's already said he warms up, he gets better as the fight goes on, he does this, he does that, and everyone 's right, but I just think he's just fifteen percent better everywhere
1: Sean, your Amanda is known for his uh, judging talk and judging analysis and 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 your um your opinion when it comes to that is very important, and it 's something that I think is going to be very important as both fighters. And fans get more familiar with the scoring of a fight. And that is impactful strikes. And Peter Ian throws them in abundance. And that's what I think is going to be the most successful aspect of uh, the majority of his fights his ability to land and his ability to land with force. How important is that?
0: I, do you know what what you just said there and what harry just said there if you put the two of those things together that's why yan will probably win the fight you know because he's a little bit better in every area and he can hit a little bit harder as well than sterling and his he shots are a little bit more in and that and that's what absolutely matters uh, and if there was two keys i would say to the winning of the fight i would say judging in jiu-jitsu <laughs> to, to be honest because what you said harry Ian uh how how does Yan uh, win the fight? It, let's say if it goes five rounds or if it goes long. Look if he goes out there and dominates him and he beats him. He'll win it because he will win it fighting the way the judging criteria tells you to win fights, and that's by landing the more impactful shots. And I think if Sterling was it, it could be his jiu-jitsu. Like, it, it, Harry said that he's 15% better in every area. Is he 15% better in the jiu-jitsu? I, I, I don't think so. I, I think that's the one area where Sterling... Could be a little better. Now you've heard, Jiu-Jitsu doesn't work, Shiny tea pods you know, that's what the T stands for. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 like, it could be the area. It could be the area where he wins that fight. And, you know, we we'll get to Gilbert uh, Burns and Shimaev later on, but maybe that's the area where he wins it too. Like, this could this could be Andrew McGahan coming on, texting me at 7 o'clock in the morning and Harry go oh, you know, Jiu-Jitsu works. And now, in this fight especially, I don't think it will be. But, if You you know, you ask me in the start, how does how does Green Zombie win it? How does Aljo win it? I think that's the way he wins it. If, the, if he is to win it, and Spencer talked about coming out quickly, and he said he came out quickly in the first round, I think he needs to come out. Not, he doesn't need to come out quickly. He needs to come out at a 1,000 miles an hour and win that fight early. Harry, your point 100%. Uh, if that doesn't work, add up. Go to the body, go to the body, go to the body. But it won't matter. It will not matter. Jan has a better gas tank than him. If this fight goes late... Look, he could land a spinning back kick in the fifth round and knock him out. But if it goes late, Yan is winning that fight. If it goes to decision, because of the exact question he threw, threw over to me, Yan is winning that fight. He needs to get it done, and he needs to get it done early. And the one thing I think with this, and I am I never say this, and people who listen to the Sevierman podcast know it as well, mentality. I, I never question someone's mentality if you're an MMA fighter. If you go in there and you can get fucking punched in the face to get to this level, you know, I, I very, I would very rarely question your mentality. The way Sterling has reacted to that first fight, the way he acted at the end of the first fight, we all look, we all know. Go he was acting. He he got hit, okay, he got hurt very badly. He, you know, he's joking about this Oscar. In there, he could have won a fucking Oscar for for what he did at the end of that fight. And I'm not saying he wasn't hurt, and I'm not saying the fight shouldn't have been stopped. But he played it up like fuck, and he knows he played it up, and he's trying to play it off afterwards. And I don't think that's a good, healthy thing to do. Look at him imbe- embedded the week of the fight, and he's wearing this jumper with an Oscar on the back of it and everything like this. It's like it's still in his head. Like Yana's not even talking about it. Like the fans don't even care about it anymore. We're moving on to the next fight now. Let's see him fight again. Yet Sterling is like, it's like he's our ex girlfriend. He's still thinking about her. Like, it's, that is not a good mentality to have coming into the fight. And that doesn't lead me to believe that he has the mentality to believe you can go out and finish one of the best fighters in the world in round one, which is probably the game plan he needs to win this fight. Back Peter Jan if you're backing someone.
1: Back him to the ground. I think I I couldn't agree more what everybody said there um and that will lead us on to the next monster fight sean brought it up he teases let me take a drink of my imaginary glass of water before this one because this is an absolute belter of a fight i cannot wait to see what happens here we talk i think the team possibly of this pre-show is questions and we have a shit ton of questions that we need answered about hamzat shimaev i'm going to bring the first one to you spencer and I'm going to put this: have um, and, and you can correct me. I cannot think in recent times of a fighter that has this most, much potential and who has been taken such a leap in competition from one fight to the next. I think it's it's extraordinary. And I think that uh, I, I just can't wait to see how he how he handles it, how he deals with like Gilbert Burns is an elite level welterweight. No doubt about that. And now we're going to find out how good Hamzat Shimaev is here.
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, this is this is the one I've been waiting for. I've been openly slow to accepting Hamzat Shemaev as this conquering hero that everybody, you know, goes out and, and smashes John Phillips and then beats Reese McKee on short notice 10 days later and and everybody says, this guy's the greatest. And my reaction was, why? For... Beating two dudes that have a combined like one win in the year like Reese McKee, I think is a good is a good Cow prospect. And, Cav's and like in the Irish lads now, Kevin. Hey, <laughs> hey, he's a good prospect, and I think he will be back, and I think he's talented. That was a terrible assignment. Just a just a terrible no-win situation. And to get cut after two fights and one of them be that one is just ridiculous. So I'm not slagging Reese McKee. Shout out to Skeletor. But even then going out and beating Gerald Murshardt, right? Who I think is a good dude, as we were talking about off air, quality journeyman in the middleweight division. Been around forever, fifty some odd fights. Good guy, perfect measuring stick. Okay, this guy's not just beaten up guys that don't don't at this point belong in the UFC. The win over Li Liang was a little bit different though, because we know what where the we know the level of the leech, right? He's I don't necessarily think he's a top fifteen guy though. He's ranked. But he's, he's quality. He's been around for a while. He's 34, fought a lot of guys. And he goes out and pitches another shutout. Good journeyman.
1: Yes. Yeah. He picked Lee Jiang Yang up like a child. Up, yeah. He picked him up like a child and, and I mean, put him you, down. I couldn't believe it.
2: You can't. So it's one of those things, right? We're going to hear them more and more in the next couple of days and, and throughout the broadcast. 112 to 1. That's a striking differential. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's there's no way around it. He has been absolutely dominant. And now, as you said, we get to find out if this escalation of going from a guy that's sort of in the lower third of the top 15 to a guy that fought for the title a year ago is is something he can deal with. And this is the this is just this is the question that I've been waiting to see answered. This is the one I've been waiting to find out. I will jump on my Substack on Saturday night and say, I've been wrong this whole time. He is the greatest prospect ever. He is, he is the conquering marauder of this division. And oh dear God, look out. If he goes out and does the same to Gilbert Burns, I don't think he'll do the same to Gilbert Burns. I think he can win the fight. I think there's more than probably a 50% chance that he wins the fight, but more than anything, I just want to sit down and see it. And I want to see it against a guy of this level. Because we know, as you said, that Gilbert Burns is outstanding and it takes a lot to beat Gilbert Burns. And if Chimaev can go out and beat Gilbert Burns and beat him handily, I, I think he probably jumps over Leon Edwards and gets the next title shot. Oh, controversial, but
1: I can definitely Which is see terrible that. Terrible and shouldn't <laughs> happen, but it will. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, after uh, Chimaev's last fight, um, against Lee I think I, I did tweet out that I wanted the Gilbert Burns fight next I don't want to be waiting around and I don't want to see him be a top, another top 15 guy or another, I don't want to see him be a top 10 guy I think he's he's created this hype through his performances through his personality and why beat around the bush why wait around let's get him in there let's fucking find out and now we are going to find out in two days time and I can't wait for it to happen I, I I'm Unlike yourself, Spencer, I'm a very excitable guy, as you can see. <laughs> and I can't wait to see how these two match up. Harry, I'm gonna to go to you. Break down because I think I don't I'm I don't know. Maybe I'm gonna be wrong on saying this. I really truly think that this fight is probably going to be one in the grappling department. Not, I'm interested to see if Shemaev has enough confidence to stand and bang with someone like, like Gilbert Burns, who can bang, who has wicked left hook, uh, wicked power. We have to remember, Gilbert Burns is a guy who hurt Kamara Usman and who's probably came closest to beating Kamara Usman ever of any fighter. And that says enough in the skills of Gilbert Burns. How do you see him matching up with Shemaev? Break down this fight for me, please.
3: Okay. So, I'm somebody like Spencer, who's notoriously harsh on prospects, and you might hear that later when we talk about Ian Gary. Um, however, ah, look, allow me. But look, there is so- there is something special about Hamzat Shemaev. There is something special, and the reason I say that is because you don't go in. And you don't have, you know, Sean talked about mentality earlier, right? And equally, I don't like looking at that. It's a very, very difficult variable to gauge and it's it's tough, right? But you look at him and he's too calm and he's too calculated and he's too at ease with what's happening, right? You even look at a McGregor and whatever, there's the confidence, there's everything, there's, it's him, it's him at 11, it's him at 12, it's him at 15. But he still knows he's going into a fight. Right, He still knows that there's a chance that he could get clipped. To Hamzat, that just doesn't even exist. Even the guy that he lost to in Brave or, or had a close fight with in Brave, right? he doesn't care. He's like, oh yeah, your man was all right. He was all right. He was good. He had a good gas tank. He was all right. Th- t- for, me, for me, I think Hamzat can win this anywhere, if I'm really honest. I think Darren Till, for whatever he is in MMA is a fantastic striker in pure striking, right? And some of the reports that have come out and some of the things that he said about Hamzat striking, to me, gives a lot of credibility to that striking. I think the fight IQ of Hamzat, from what we've seen already, John Phillips, you do what you want. It is what it is. The Reese McKee fight, he was like, oh, this guy's a good striker. I'll just take him down. Grand. The Gerald Murshaw fight, he's like, oh, he's a good grappler. I'll just one bang him. All right, cool. Jiling Jiang. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he's got hands. I'll take him down and smash him. All right, cool. I hear you. Gilbert Burns, whilst he has big power on the feet, and whilst, yes, he did hurt Kamara Usman, we also have to remember, Kamaru Usman, we, we were still talking about Kamara Usman being, being a developing fighter before the Gilbert Burns fight, right? And he was adding tools to his to his thing, and he was, he was with Trevor Whitman, and he was doing all these amazing things. And look, don't get me wrong, he's fantastic. But the overarching theme here, I think one is size. Hamzat looks just fine at middleweight. He's coming down to 70. Gilbert Burns was a 55er for a long time. Just come up, and he's added loads of things. That's fine. I hear you. In terms of the grappling department, I'm going to add two more points. The first one, I think, is one is a world-class jiu-jitsu athlete transitioning to MMA. The other is a world-class MMA grappler. And I think that's a big tangible. That's a big thing to talk about, right? Jiu-Jitsu, sport Jiu-Jitsu, doesn't work in MMA. Don't tell Sean I said that, but it doesn't, right? It really, it really, really doesn't. And the other thing I'm going to say is, you look at Gilbert Burns' training camp, and everyone's lauding over this amazing strength and conditioning program that he's putting through and whatever to get him ready for Hamza. Cool, but you're getting, you're trying to build a gas tank. When Hamzat has had the gas tank for his entire life, it's in the fiber of his being to be able to put a pace like that. So I think I'm leaning quite heavily towards Hamzat in this fight, if I'm truly honest. I think he has massive power. He has size. And it, at that level of MMA, size and strength plays a big factor. I think he's going to be happy to grapple with, with Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns off his back is not the same as Gilbert Burns on top. You don't see Gilbert Burns triangling fellas and arm fellas from the bottom. You don't. And if you if it's a straight grappling and it's in, you know open in the cage wrestling, who's going to win? I don't think it's Gilbert Burns, lads. I really don't.
1: Yeah, that's great points, Harry. I mean, you mentioned one thing uh, there in particular, and that was the size advantage, and it's something that I'm really looking towards as well. Look, uh, I, I did give my pick at the start of this week, and my pick for this fight was is a Shimaev decision win. For some reason, I think Burns is—he has a point to prove here, and he's not going to go out easy. Uh, I don't—I think he's too good to get completely obliterated. And if he does, I mean, stop the lights, guys! I mean, forget about it. Just—I don't know what I'm going to say. If if he comes out here and obliterates Gilbert Burns, well then, it's fucking red panty night for every single one of us. So it is. And I'm just going to go back to the point, Sean, to you—the power, the size advantage in this fight. Do you think that that's the major factor? Are we getting too excited about Shimaev? Or is the hype, if all the hype that's been brought his way fair from what we've seen so far? Uh, the,
0: well, the hype, look, the hype is definitely fair. He, he's he, Look, he's done what he's done. He's done what he's done. We can't deny what he's done what he's done. But the hype can be real. The hype can be fair. And then he can go in there against fucking Gilbert Burns and lose. And the hype is still real because that, yeah, lots of very good fighters have lost to Gilbert Burns. You know, this lad is, this lad is a really, really, really good fighter. So it's it's not a case of. And I say, uh, do you know why I love this fight? Because you know Graham mentions it all the time about uh, uh you know the, the <laughs> upper echelon fighters. You know, and, and, and getting there and jeopardy as well. And this is a fight, right, where we will see if he is an upper echelon fighter. But there's jeopardy in every area of this fight because is Gilbert Burns still the guy right up there who we should be considering as one of the next guys or is that um, Shemaev is Shemayev the greatest prospect in the history of the sport who has barreled his way to number one contention over other guys who maybe have been around longer and who a lot of people say may deserve it is it, this is what we will find out now we we will find out for some people if Shamayev is real or not on Saturday night, but those people are fucking idiots because you can't, you can't, that's the one thing we can find out, right? That's the, the, uh, you know, we can find out that he's rubbish on Saturday night, right? Because Gilbert Burns can make great fighters look rubbish. He really, really can. And you asked me what the key is. And I, I kind of dodged the question a little bit because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like it's one thought. of those
1: mysteries again, isn't it? It it's is. Kind of that, that's, I mean, like, how is this fight going to go? It could go one of a number of ways, really.
0: Yeah, I, I can't wait for it. I really can't. Like, rule Gilbert Burns out at your fucking peril here. R- I'm telling you. Because I think, she, look, we probably all think Shamayev will win. We're probably all picking him. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if Shamayev, you know, took him down a couple of times. Shamayev, was going great for him. And then he stuffs one takedown the start of this you know midway through the second round maybe to start to the third round there's a bit of strike and all he's doing man then gets clipped with a left hand like he's never been fucking clipped with before you know there isn't many fighters who get to what could be really you know and we all maybe agree and this could be a number one contender fight here that have never been clipped punched once i think spencer said earlier on in his ufc career not many people get there let's see if he fucking likes it you know and let's let's see if Gilbert Burns can put it on him. Let's see if Gilbert Burns is that guy who can clip him. And, uh, you know, not clip him necessarily, knock him out or knock him down or anything like that. But hit him a damn fucking hard um, uh, clatter, you know, as Conor McGregor would say. And as Harry was saying earlier on, there isn't even a thought in his mind that he's going to get punched. Well, do you know what's very bad for someone who doesn't have a thought in their mind about getting punched? Getting fucking punched. And that's... That's what I hope happens. You know, I I take no sides. I don't care who wins as long as, you know, if it's a good fight, if it's a good battle. But I hope, I hope he clatters him once. And then we'll see something, you know. We'll see, we'll find out something about Shemayim. We'll find out, you know, we'll find out something about Burns. We'll find out something about him anywhere. But that's what I want to find out. That's the fight I want to see. And I, I can't wait for it. This is, this is... One of the fights at the start the, of the year, when if you ask me what I want to see, this is one of them. I cannot, the wait for people's it.
1: main event, I think Please. it is. It's the people's main event, it's just unbelievable, and I can't wait for it as well. And um, we're going to skip a few fights down the card because you know, Irish based podcast, we've got to talk about our guy, Ian Gary, who's going in there for his second UFC fight against Darian Weeks. Um, look at I'm I'm not I'm not too I'm not too long in the media game but I had to find an adjustment when I started doing this uh to take off my fan cap to put on my media cap um you know Sean has done the same he's done excellently through the years he's been there olé, around for Conor <laughs> olé, olé, olé. <laughs> But I can't help it Sean and I know know you're the same whenever we see an Irish guy going into that Octagon no matter how much of of uh, of a neutral point of view you want to have there's just that little extra bit of excitement and there's just that extra, maybe little bit of hope. And sometimes there's that, maybe that extra little bit of delusion as well. So now I'm going to go to, to Spencer and I want to get your opinion on Ian Gary as, as, as as a proud Canadian man looking at this young Irish prospect coming through. What do you see?
2: I certainly see a fighter that, that has the upside and has the raw tools and has the fundamentals and all all the potential i fucking hate that word, and I was trying not to use it um all the ability to become a terrific fighter and to become a contender. his size for the division is great, his length for the division is great um I think he showed some kind of intangible things in that first fight you know it it takes a lot to debut in fucking. New York City, Madison Square Garden, massive fight card, tons of hype, tons of attention. the fucking nickname is The Future. Ask Macy Barber how that works. And still go out there and deal with getting punched in the face and getting bloodied up and, and Jordan Williams being maybe better than you thought he was going to be and hit maybe a little harder than you think he's going to hit you and still find that right hand that put him down. I'm also, as Harry pointed out earlier, and as we discussed earlier, someone that's, that's hesitant and tentative with fighters. I don't have the Irish ties you guys do that, you know, you're going to jump out and be like, Ian Gary's the fucking best ever. Exactly. The olays. I I don't have that tie. We don't have any Canadian prospects right now that I can get all crazy about, and I never do anyways, because there hasn't been a really great Canadian prospect since Rory McDonald. I think he can get there. But I'm very curious to see this fight. We were talking off air about this fight a little bit. And if Ian Gary, to me, if Ian Gary is the fighter that he's purported to be and may develop to be, then he crushes Darian Weeks. He goes out and just, this is the statement fight. This is the one that takes 90 seconds. And he just goes out and house of fire, puts it on him. We're done here. But if he doesn't do that, and this turns into two rounds, three rounds, it's not necessarily a bad thing because I think Ian Gary is always going to benefit from further experience. But it prompts me to do the like, all right, let's rein this in a little bit. Not that he can't get there, but it just, he he doesn't get the Hamza treatment, right? He doesn't get the accelerated push. The other good thing that I've always appreciated about Ian Gary is that he's the first one to say I've got time. I'm not in a hurry. Give me the, give me the slow road. If he's as good as he thinks he is, we think he is. He has the potential to be. There's going to come a point where he's not going to get that slow road anymore. You can't just continue to take the slow road. So I think this fight for me, more than anything, is kind of figuring out which which of those lanes he's going to be in. Is he in the slow road? in the medium medium lane, or is he over in the fast lane where jesus this kid is is the next big thing, and let's just let's just strap a rocket on his back and see what we got
1: indeed, Harry, you uh kind of teased us with an opinion er do you want it do you want it sean?
0: no, no, I'm just giving the thumbs down to Harry's opinion. Uh, there, right?
1: <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because we know it's going, you know, it's not always, going, not always going to be sunshine and flowers. Rick, what do you think of, of Ian Gary? What's your overall assessment? You kind of teased us earlier on, uh, thinking that, you know, he has some, some work to do before he gets to the top.
3: Yeah. And I suspect that Ian would probably agree with a lot of what I'm about to say. And I think actually I echo what, what Spencer said. Ian has, A lot of the raw tools, his physical frame, I'm, you know, I'm repeating what Spencer said. His physical frame is fantastic. He has a, a, some really lovely, slick hands, some great kicks. The way he, he covers distance is really, really nice. I thought the, the, the defensive grappling on on display against Jack Grant, was really brilliant, actually. Everyone was saying, oh, look, Jack Grant's the grappler. He's this great jiu-jitsu guy. He's going to expose Ian Gary And Ian was like, that's really cool. Watch this. And that was very impressive to me. Now, I don't think it was Jack Grant's best fight, and I don't think it was Jack Grant's best performance, specifically on the ground. But Ian still went in there with the injury. We forget that. With a crazy injury to be going into a a, a title fight in and performed the way he performed incredible, amazing stuff. The Jordan Williams match showed me potentially that, as Spencer said, he didn't take Jordan Williams quite as serious or maybe he overinflated his own opinion of himself. And in that fight, what did we see? We saw him get caught. We saw him in a little bit of a sticky spot and you're right, he came through it and he came through it really, really well, very impressively. But the gimme fight on your debut in Madison Square Garden, a striker. And you have to come over the versatility, you ha- the adversity, sorry. You have to come over. You look a bit gun-shy. You look as if in the first 15, 25, 30 seconds, he was like, oh, shit, lads, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Does he battle back? Yeah, he does. Now, Darian Weeks is a fighter, as we've already said, and I'm going I'm to hammer this home, is sloppy on the feet. And I mean sloppy. Gary should, and I, I think will, find shots and find shots early. And if there's one thing we know about Ian Gary, he hits like a Mack fucking truck, right? Darian Weeks, he's got some takedowns, I guess. You know, he, he was able to get Barbarina down for a period of time, and Barbarina did well to get back up, use Kimura grips, use this, use that. But there was no chain wrestling, really. And Darian Week sort of bundled himself into these things and found himself in double legs and whatever. Ian Gary's way better than that. He's way better than that. I think actually the most impressive thing in the last little while that I've seen from Ian Gary is the defensive grappling. He's a hard motherfucker to take down. And when you do take him down, it's hard to keep him there. I think overall, he's built a personality that's larger than the skills that he currently has. And that's fine. He's got mad hype. Ah, Shawnee, come on. Can he, can he build those skills? Of course he can. He's, he's made an incredibly smart decision by going over to Sanford. He's in a room full of incredibly skilled fighters that are going to be giving him the right looks, the right reactions, and building him in the right way. But do I think he's a Hamzat-level prospect right now? No, I don't.
1: Why is, is a 24-year-old man? very, very young in his career, um, who talks a big game, I have to say, but also is humble enough and also is wise enough to recognize that he's not there yet. And everyone wants to throw around this comparison with himself and Hamza this weekend because the two of them are fighting on the same card. Hamza Shimayev is 28 years of age, so Ian Gary has four years to get to that level as well. To me, who who has looked at all of his all of his fights throughout his career and some amateur ones as well, the same as all of us, Sean, who's interviewed him and probably knows him better than any single one of us here, and I'll go to you in a minute. I mean, there's two things that stood out to me on, on his debut, and that was the pre- the pressure he created on himself and the fact that he had not experienced that was his first UFC experience. You're fighting in Madison Square Garden and you're going in and and it's one of the biggest cards of the year, and you're the next big Irish prospect. And it's a lot of unnecessary pressure in my eyes to put on your shoulder, let alone going in and trying to win your UFC debut, which is hard enough in its own right. I don't think we saw the, the I don't think we saw the, the the true Ian Gary that night. Is he the finished product yet? No, he's not, but I don't think we saw the the, the Ian Gary that exists right now, and I think we'll see the Ian Gary that exists on Saturday night when he goes in there against Darian Reeks, i really, this, I feel that this fight is more important to him and to the progress of his career and for his confidence and to see how he's set in, in Sanford MMA and, and to see the work he's been doing with those elite level fighters. This is the fight where you go in and you prove yourself. And I'm not even going to ask you a question, Sean. I just want your opinion. Just give me your opinion, man.
0: I honestly, I have so many things going through my head right now. I, I need like a 25-minute a podcast to, to reply to, uh, to stand up for Ian Garry here. Ah, let me, come on. Let me, let me just take off the, the, the tricolor for a second and, and speak about it. And I'll, I'll give a few all the before that. But look, when we have found ourselves in a position over the last few years, as, as Ian kind of started off this uh, chat talking about, with lots of Irish fighters, um, you know, being thrust into the limelight. And, you know obviously we get him on the podcast we talk him up which you could call support but i feel like we always do a good job of talking about him inside the cage of as if it's fighter a versus fighter b and let you know let's do that with ian gary and one thing i must say and it might sound like i'm standing up for ian gary a little bit here but i i would say this if it was someone else too i remember one of ian gary's uh fights his i don't know his second or third fight myself and graham went on the podcast. And he got hit hard in one of the fights, right? And we said, Graham said it actually it wasn't me, so I won't take credit for it. He was like, you know, he got hit hard. He needs to stop getting hit like that. If he gets hit like that, it'll be problems for him, and he's, uh, you know, and he's, uh, his uh, career going on. And uh, the next time I interviewed Ian, I was kind of said to him, "Oh, you got hit," and he was like, "Oh yeah, I heard that in the podcast, and you're, you're fucking pricks, or whatever, he, you know, uh, uh, jokey. The next fight he comes out, and the next couple of fights afterwards, and he improved massively. Ian Garry's a guy who looks at himself, sees the issues, and goes out and fixes them. I, I spoke to him the other day. I goes to him, Ian, I and this is exactly what I said to him. Ian, I watched your fight last night. I just wanted to ask you, what do you think of it, right? I made no assertions. I said nothing about it. And what did he say back to me? I was fucking shit. That's what he said. You know? Word for word. And he, you know, he, he gave his reason. I heard you talking about Algebra Sterling earlier on, Spencer. And I don't believe a single fucking word of what he said about being sick and going out trying for three years. I don't believe a word. I do believe what he insists. So maybe I'm a little bit biased there. But you could see it in him, though. Like he saw fucking Bruce Buffer. I remember the first time I was ever at the UFC and the fuck the Who came on. And I was sitting there and I honestly, it was like I was lifted above the octagon. It, it was a surreal out of body fucking experience. And I was sitting in the crowd in Dublin. Like he was in that octagon with Bruce Buffer standing here. 20,000 people. And if you remember as well, he had never fought under a crowd like that cage wires down in Cork. In the place I did my fucking college exams with all due respect to them, where there was 900 people, a thousand people. Like he had never fought in front of a crowd like that. And he fought badly for two and a half minutes. And absolutely, but is that a fair reflection of where Ian Gary is at his career right now? I don't think so. I do not think so. And if it was, I'd say it was like Paddy Pimblett. But people will give me plenty of stick for talking about Paddy Pimblett and saying, or like James Gallagher after he got knocked out. We were saying before that James Gallagher has issues in in that area of his game. And I asked him about that last time I interviewed him and everything like that. Look at Ronda Rousey even as well. People, I, me included, were saying she had issues before she got knocked out and everything like that. I. Look, Ingarry is a fighter at a stage of his career where he is not Hamzat Shemaev yet. He is not going to take that rocket ship to the very, very top yet. And I don't think he should. We've a, a podcast coming up my Self and Harry literally recorded it before we did this about, you know, about journeymen, but about rising your way up to the top. And as Spencer said, Ingarry is trying to do it the right way. He is trying. To get the right fights, and luckily the UFC, I think, are giving him the Jordan Williams fight. It was a good test for him. He got fucking punched in the face ten times. He ended up winning it, so that's what you want. And I think Darian Weeks, I know Harry is kind of shit all over him there a little bit, and that that's his his right to do. I don't think, look, I don't think he's a great fighter, and I, you know, I don't disagree with most of what Harry said. To be fair, but I think he is a not necessarily, I wouldn't say a tough matchup, but a tough matchup to look good against at times. He stands way back. He keeps out of the fire. You know, I saw John Gooden put up a thing about the the, the mad MMA phrases that people say and someone said, fighting fire with fire. Like, that's not a good thing. You shouldn't be doing that. Darian Weeks is not a guy who fights fire with fire. He throws these long leg kicks from the outside. If he does get in close, as Harry mentioned earlier on, it's to get a takedown. Look, he's good on top at times, but I would agree with what Harry said as well. You know, he's no Habib Nurmagomedov uh, when he gets there. But... I think this fight will be longer. I think it'll be a little bit of a longer test. I don't think this is a fight, as Finch said, like I, I saw, funnily enough, I saw Ian Gary talking about Conor McGregor versus Marcus Brimage earlier on. I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think it's going to be Ian Gary going in there, jabbing him up, this guy running into uppercuts and getting, you know, falling back like fucking uh, Austin Theory taking the, 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 uh, the Stone Cold Stunner at WrestleMania. I don't think it's going to be that. But I do think it will be more experience. And do you know what Ian Gary needs right now? He could do with three rounds. He could do it. Do you know what he could do with two point five rounds? Maybe to 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 go through this fight, win those first two rounds, like maybe get the finish in the third round. Also, that might be my bet of the week on Sherdog. But you a bet us. But anyway, um, that's yeah, that's what i think of that. Have I any other points to make? I probably do. I probably have loads more of them. Ian, what you think?
1: I think that they're valid, valid points and very well said. And I thought I think that we we covered. Ian Gary from all angles, and you know, we do want to be fair in our assessments too, you know what I mean, like and, uh, that would be my assessment of Ian Gary I think, he's like, Sean might know this uh, statement, he's like Aaron Rodaire and he's not there yet, but he's getting there, <laughs> so, and I'm just going to so, jump
3: in, right, I'm just going to fucking defend myself Shawnee T podcast, go
0: fuck like, yourself <laughs> fuck him. that sure can go fuck himself <laughs> oh, man, I like Owen Elliott, though, he's a nice
3: guy <laughs> like, I just, you know, I'll reiterate. Like, I actually think Sean and I are saying similar things in that I I think Ian Gary absolutely has all the skills in the world to get there. I really, really do. Experience is what Sean was saying. And I agree completely with experience. I think the first matchup and the second matchup now are fantastic. I agree. I don't want him to go in there and do what Spencer said and blow him out in 90 seconds because the UFC will strap a rocket to his back and send him to the moon. I would like to see him go two and a half. Let's see him accumulate some time. Let's see him put a beating on Terry in weeks and then let's see him finish him. If he wants it, maybe we'll see him sub somebody. Maybe we'll see him actually try his wrestling that he's been doing in Sanford. I think experience, as you said, is absolutely right. My fear is that we're in an era of MMA that the UFC care more about clicks and personalities than they do about skills. That's my fear. Love you, Ian Gary. Well, just,
1: just to finish up, why, what would fear you in particular about Ian Gary? You feel that his personality is going to get him further than where his skills are at right exactly. now? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The the, the are personality. You,
0: are you mixing up Ian Gary with Paddy Pimlet somewhere here, like.
1: No. No. no?
0: Like I, I don't think Ian Gary has been like stuck on a rocket ship in terms of. No, no, that's not what I'm ex- saying at all. No, no, in terms of in terms of his exposure since his first fight, like Ian Gary didn't interview with me. Who else has interviewed him since that first? Since the week after his first fight. Like, have you seen him anywhere? Like, but no, but he, yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, he's he's the last fight of the prelims on a on a big pay per view card. Like this, this is the showcase, and if he goes out and blows this kid out of the water,
1: and they can say, well, he's
2: twenty four, and he's his nickname is the like. We're going to get a Ian Gary package on Saturday promoting this guy of. No, but my my point here is... Ramundi wrote the the, the Conor McGregor-related tangential piece this week, right, on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Lovely piece. Told his mom, you know, being the next Conor McGregor isn't a plan. And he said, well, fuck you, mom. Look, I got this win. You can say something now. And I think if he goes out and blows this kid out of the water, he is going to be one of the three big stories on Sunday morning and Monday and Tuesday. And that's the worry. He was a big story last time, too, though. He was, um, where has he been since? He's been in the fucking
0: gym training. Like, I, oh, I, 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 think, I, 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 I have to, hold on. Let me, let me make the point yeah. quickly, just very, very quickly. I don't want to interrupt you. But I, I think, look, Ian Gary, from the second he made his pro debut, there was people trying to tell him that, you know, he's going too fast. He's going too quickly. He's getting too hyped. And I actually think he was smart enough to kind of listen to that. And since he's gone to Stanford, him, every time he's talked about it, you know, I saw a few people saying, oh, Ian Gary's going to be boring. He's talking about, I want to be the best in the world and talking about his training partners because it feels like that's all he cares about. And that's all he's doing at the moment is training and trying to get the, the very best. And I have to make the point again about him not putting himself in that area where everyone could see him at all times, like Paddy Pimblet has. He's been improving those skills. Where's Paddy Pimblet been? You know, that that is the, I think that's the difference. And Ian Gary, I think at this stage of his career, has a fantastic ability. Harry, you said it. He's good wrestling. He's good jiu He's good stand-up. He has to improve in all those areas, defensively striking. If you take away that first few minutes against uh, in, in his last fight, it, it's a, an area he has to, has to improve on anyway, but it's an area everyone has to improve on to get to the very top. I don't think it's as a, like a deathly deficiency as it is for someone like Paddy Pimlet, but I do think that he himself has realized that he, the fighting needs to come first before the hype and won't let that hype take him away until the fighting is there.
1: 100%. And I, that's why he's training at Sanford MMA, one of the best gyms in the world right now, because he recognized, you know, you have to, you've put yourself into that company, I feel, to develop those skills. Sorry for interrupting you, Spencer.
2: No, sorry I was you. just going to, I was, no apologies needed. This is what we're here for, to argue and. Fight and bicker, and we know it's all love at the end of, end of it anyways. I was just going to say that I, so it's not that I think Ian Gary is going to look to be hyped and to be pushed and to rush. I think he is making all of the right decisions. I think the fact that he is in a room where Michael Chandler is going to beat the shit out of him and big brother him all the time in every way possible and also put him under his wing and say, these are the steps you need to take is 100% the right idea. I'll draw. I'll I'll compare it to bantamweights, right? Sean O'Malley and, and Corey Sanhagen didn't debut too far apart. Sean O'Malley comes out, big performance on the Contender Series, big hype behind him, and gets a win. And all of a sudden, it's Sean O'Malley. Nobody said shit about Corey Sanhagen beating the hell out of Austin, Arnett, finishing him with lovely body work. They should have. Corey Sanhagen retreats into the gym, works with a great team, continues to build. It's just slow, steady progress. I want that for Ian Gary. I want him to get exactly what he wants, and I love the fact that it is what he wants. My concern is what Harry said, is that at some point, what he wants isn't going to matter or is going to be brushed aside or forced aside because the UFC wants Sean O'Malley's. They want Patty Pimplett's. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he gets three years to get eight fights under his belt against an increasing level of competition where he can build up cage time and he can continue sharpening those skills. You're 100% right that he has laid low. He has been in the gym. He has just been golfing, getting married and doing work. Perfect. Love it. All for it. Wish him the absolute best. I worry that in the period we're in right now where stars and names are in such short supply and in such great demand, that if he goes out and has one of these transcendent, one of these blowout performances, we get sort of the same thing as everybody that watched Patty Pimblett beat Kazula Vargas and go, Oh my god, Patty Pimblett, when we sit here and go, shit performance. I'm pushing this guy for.
0: Can I That's can I just all. ask you though, what what let's say right, no, Sand- no, questions. no questions, no questions at this time. The Sandhagen and O'Malley comparison, right? Sandhagen laid low. He said nothing, and ended up in a fucking title fight, and and fighting in some of the biggest 100%. fights in the world. And I'm 100%. All so it's like,
2: I I I I think Ian Gary, if he progresses the way that he could progress, if he's given the opportunity to develop, and his development remains sort of the way we've seen it thus far, he will get there. I think he will be a top ten, top five fighter. All the skills are there. I just don't. We've seen a lot of really great prospects get rushed and then not reach that level. Do you know I what, hope it doesn't happen to him.
0: It, it, you know, it's funny actually, we had this, this discussion a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe all, all four of us are somewhere anyway. Uh, uh, no, it was on the, the Speaker's Corner podcast about uh, putting cards together and the UFC having time to put cards together or not. I actually don't think the UFC have time to push people anymore or care about doing it. If you see like the lads that are mentioned, Sean O'Malley pushes himself. He's the guy who's saying, you know, I don't want to take these big fights till I'm getting paid. Paddy Pimblett's working for fucking Barstool now. They're pushing him, and he's pushing himself. Look, the UFC, we've seen it with McGregor is the greatest example. He is fucking has his own documentary team, has his own everything, and next thing the UFC, get on it. Paddy Pimblett is here. Next thing the UFC, get on it. O'Malley, the same. If you're Ian Gary, right, and, you t- and I'm not saying you will take this decision indefinitely, I just, what I have seen between the last fight and this is that he's taken the decision to stay off social media. You know, he's, his wife is an expert in that, as he said yesterday on social media, and she does a great job of it and probably takes a lot of that off of his back and helps him a lot, a lot with it, even though she's got a lot of criticism from a lot of different people, uh, very, very unfairly in a lot of different ways, uh, you know, from uh, from certain areas that probably actually helps him in, in, in lots of different ways so he can concentrate on that. So if, I, I agree with your point, Spencer, that if that push is there, it could be harmful. But I don't think it will be there in terms of the UFC. If he wants to do it himself, the UFC will strap onto that and bring him, you know, go with him. But I I just think that UFC, like, not giving a shit as much as they once did will actually benefit him if his decision is to do what he did between the last fight. Now, now if he decides, that, look, I want to be on the fucking Apprentice after the next fight, and I'm going to move back to Dublin, and I'm going to be out every night, and I'm going to be on every show, and I'm going to do every podcast, and I'm going to be like fucking Colby Covington and never turn down a podcast appearance and just be seen everywhere. Then that could be a problem. But if he doesn't do that, I, I think he'll be okay. Now, haven't said that as well. Sorry, and I I, 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 you know, this has actually been a good discussion. So I'm not sorry. So, and I think we all have had a great time. This has been great. This has been, been brilliant. fantastic. I that's not to say that Ian Gary will be a top 15 or a top 10 or a champion or anything like that he has an awful lot of improvements to make he has to get through all these fights he has to you know as I said earlier on about Shemayev, get fucking punched in the face and see if he can get through it now Ian Gary did that in his last fight to be fair but at a higher level let's see if he can do it let's see if he can beat the, the guy he's fighting the Weeks at the weekend let's see if he can beat someone a little bit better and a better and better and go there All those steps have to be taken. I'm not coming on here saying Ian Gary is going to be a UFC champion. He's going to be ranked or anything like that. I'm going to tell you what I've been telling you for the last few years that Ian Gary is a top, top prospect and he could be that. Will he be that? There's only one person who can answer that question and that's fucking Ian Gary on a Monday morning when Cyborg Santos is on top of him and, you know, tearing the fucking head off him or he's getting jabbed in the face by Cameron Usman. Let's see if he can come through that and improve and start jabbing the face off Usman. If he can start doing that, then we can... Then we can talk about him being a champion, but there's
1: a long way to go. I don't think anyone, none of us were really, and I'm I'm just reiterating the point for everybody else. It was like, I don't think anyone was ever saying that. I think the best that Ian Gary can hope for in the short term now is that UFC are trying to probably build him into a position where he can go back to Dublin and headline a fight night card. And that will help in his progression. And I think that's what his focus should be right now and not title fights and he, and he hasn't really said that he's he'd said it in the past in interviews with Sean about beating Kamaru Usman and everything like that but he's he said a lot of things down the line as well but where he's at right now and what I'm hearing from him right now is that he knows he has work to do and I I want to see him go down that slow road as well and I think would you would you <laughs> it's been a great conversation I mean fuck guys we're one hour and ten we've gone through four fights but <laughs> well, fuck it let's it let's go um I, would you agree with that, Sean? I mean, the, the slow progression into building his stardom in Ireland as well. I think is a, is a small goal that he and Gary has to meet right now. And getting one fight Saturday night, being victorious, possibly another fight, maybe one more, then a Dublin headline slot. I was Similar just about enough. to say that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was just about to say that. Get him two or three more fights towards the end of next year, maybe the start of the year after, if they're coming back to to Dublin, like he. He could be at top of that car, but we look, we we could. You could see a, a Paddy Pimblet, you could see a Gunnar Nelson or someone like that. It doesn't necessarily have to be in Gary, but you know, there was a, Conor McGregor headlined in Dublin against Diego Brando, right? And let's say in Gary gets two more fights, and there's you know, whoever, who what, some. Like relatively good name in the welterweight division, who's been around for ten fights. Who so, you know, Spencer, you'll probably pull one up for me there. Who may be in two or three fights that Ian Gary could be a good, good solid test for Ian Gary in a good fight, the headline at the top of a card. I know, Cowboy Cerrone versus Ian Gary. Let's let's go with that one. How about that? How about that as a headliner in two or three fights up at welterweight again? You know, something like that. I I could see it happening. I, I said to him in the interview, is that something short-term? Because, look, long-term, if it goes all well for Ian Gary, he won't be able to fight in Ireland, because just that's the way it goes. But, like, the UFC, if they came to Ireland tomorrow, no cardinals, they fill the stadium. They, they'd fill the tree ring, it's not that big. You know, Bellator almost fill it every time they go there, and they put on good cards. I'm not saying anything bad about Bellator or anything, but I do think short-term, I asked him that. Look, I actually, by the way he answered me, I actually don't think it is a short-term goal necessarily in in the forefront of his mind, but I think the UFC would love to do it, and I think he would do it as well if offered, and to Spencer's point earlier, if you want to kind of rocket rocket ship him, maybe that's the way to do it, like rocket ship him slowly, (laughs) that makes no sense, but get him to a fight where in a year's time you can rocket ship him, that's the way to do it, that's intelligent matchmaking, that's intelligent building of a fighter, so you probably won't fucking do it
1: and you will not hear better analysis of an Ian Gary fight other than what you've just listened to over the last couple of minutes there that's a fucking fact right guys like I said we're an hour and 15 in let's let's try let's try breeze through (laughs) and it back home poor Harry as, as people to go, uh, people to see, and places to go. Let, let's breeze through the card. I'm going to bring it to you, Harry. Talk to me a little bit about Mackenzie Dern and Tisha Torres. Uh, uh, a, a good fight at the strawweight division. Tisha Torres, this is her last chance. She needs to get a win here against Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern, with a win, can propel herself into title consideration. Uh, that's all I would say on that. Not, not, not contendership, but definitely consideration.
3: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a perfect setup to this fight. Tisha Torres is much improved. Uh, maybe much is a bit far, but she's certainly improved over the last few fights, right? She's seeming to round out her game. She's not throwing it air as much. She's being the aggressor. She's not fighting off the back foot as much. Ah, uh, Sean Lass, but come on, we've seen it, right? You throw three jabs at air and then expect judges to like it, right? Like, I think Torres is the best fighter that she has been at this point in her career. In her UFC run, I feel like she's the best point, best fighter she's been. Mackenzie Dern is a fighter that's still growing. Obviously, if it gets to the ground, she's fantastic. Um, and I think if it does get to the ground, Mackenzie Dern is far, 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 far su- superior to, to Tisha Torres. But this is a striker versus a grappler, and that's what we're going to see. Can Mackenzie wade through... The tornado that is Tisha Torres has the work with Jason Perillo added enough tools to her Arsenal belt to allow her to navigate those situations, force Tisha, big brother Tisha, if she has to, to the cage, take her down and submit her? Or is Tisha going to have enough to keep her distance, hit her with her great kicks, hit her with her combination punches, blitz her when she has to, get out when she has to, and stuff the takedown? We're going to see that.
1: Beautiful analysis there. I'm looking forward to that fight as well. Unless anybody has anything else to say, I'll move along. Uh, Spencer, I'd love for you to talk to me about Vince Pichel and, and, and Marco Madsen. Uh, another great fight which kicks us off on the main card. I mean, I know I, I've i seen you write a few pieces on, on Vince Pichel. He really is a unique, special fighter is, is Pichel.
2: Yeah, he's a guy that, you know, calling him unheralded and kind of underrated is feels like it's not even quite enough. He's 14-2 he's and two in his career, 7-2 and two in the UFC. The guys he's lost to are Rustam Habilov and Gregor Gillespie, two terrific wrestlers, uh, both of who were top 15, top 10 at the time. So you know the level that this guy brings to the cage. You know the level you have to be to beat this guy. He's got a three-fight winning streak. One of them is Jim Miller, who we all think highly of and everybody should think highly of because he's Jim fucking Miller and he's terrific. You don't beat guys like Jim Miller if you're just some – work a day light lightweight. Like Vince Pichel is better than everybody kind of understands or everybody expects. Mark Madsen is is someone that I still don't quite know where he fits. I think he's somebody that probably could have been a terrific fighter ten years ago. If he's right, he did three three Olympic cycles, won a medal in twenty sixteen and then fully committed to MMA and has gone all in and all like that, but he's a little bit old to be kind of a little bit older, because I'm old, to be chasing this kind of thing and just getting in this position where last time out he has a close fight with Clay Guida. I know some people thought Guida won the fight. I don't remember it enough to to weigh in on either side yet. Shani T. Pods might. But this is sort of going to be the fight, right? If Vince Pichel can go out and beat a guy that's got a zero in his loss column, that's got an Olympic silver medal, and he can out out grapple him, which I think is what's, what's going to happen, right? That was the eye opener for me with the Jim Miller fight. He goes out, loses the first round and then he out grapples Jim Miller in the second and the third round and wins that fight. And I just sat back and was like, okay, hang on. I've been wrong. Like I said it on my, up until that point, I had been wrong about Vince Paschel. And now I'm over here leading a Vince Paschel bandwagon into this fight because I think he's just one of those guys that because he hasn't fought as regularly, as everybody else that was on that season of The Ultimate Fighter with him, Tough Live, the Tough 15 season, where you had guys like Ally Quinton, you had guys like Michael Chiesa, who feel like they've been around forever and we've seen them in 15, 20 UFC appearances. Vince Bichelle's got nine fights because he's always been hurt. He's had these big, long layoffs. But he's really goddamn good, and he's shown that time and again. And I think we see that on Saturday because he's going. to there's a very, to me – There's a very good chance that he goes out and beats Mark Madsen at an area where Mark Madsen, again, Olympic wrestling versus MMA wrestling, not the same thing, but it's the area where Mark Madsen should be best and should be able to differentiate himself from most people. And I think Vince Pichelle is going to beat him in that realm and sort of cement himself as another one of these guys at lightweight that is just outside that top 15 and kind of in that, I wouldn't be surprised to hear John Anik say Vince Pichel needs a main event opportunity the same way he did, did with Bobby Green, right? He's got a lot of love for those guys from tough 15, tough live. He gets mad if you call it tough 15. I think we see that on Saturday and I think he has the kind of statement performance that, that makes a lot of people sit up and go, wait a minute, Vince, Vince Pichel's really goddamn good.
1: It's kind of a pity that father time is kind of on like coming up on both of these guys. It'd be like, this is a kind of a fight that I would love to see, like ten years ago, with with the level of skills that they both have right now, I think they complement each other very well. But but I I still think it's going to be a great fight for where they're both at in their career. And I'm really excited to see it happen. And it's a great fight to kick us off on the main card. And it's a fantastic main card. We've already spoken about Ian Gary. I don't think uh, we can say too much more about that fight. But Sean, maybe I'll bring it to you in general. Is there any fight before we go get the official uh, prelims Spencer Kite fight of the the prelims card? Is there anything that stands out to you on the prelim section?
0: Not really, to be honest. Uh, myself and Spencer have already done our, our preview for next week's prelims, and funnily enough, on a card that's not great, I actually think the prelims are probably a little bit better on that one than there on this one because you have some, you have some good fights in that. Although some of those prelim fights might be, uh, might be moved up. But uh, just one quick word, and I'll come back to your question: Is uh, the Marco, Ma- Marco Matson right? I'm picking him to beat Vince Mitchell just based, based on what he has done in his career before. Are what he is as a as a martial artist all around, or as a as a you know combat sports athlete, but if he doesn't win this, this is the end of it. Like th- this is this is the moment for Marco Madsen, and if you look at a guy you know Olympic uh, medalist, as as, as Spencer has said there, if he can rise to that occasion, I'm kind of backing him to rise to this occasion, and I might be wrong, but I but on on the premiums, as you said. The rosenstruck Tobora fight, for me, is a very interesting fight. Like, I think that'll go very long for some reason. And I think Rosenstruck will win it. I, I think he's a pretty good price to win that fight by decision and to go a little bit longer. Now it's a heavyweight fight, so maybe not. But you, since we we'll are probably talk about it better than me, Aspen Ladd versus Raquel Pennington. Pennington coming in in short notice and being a big favorite in that. That's a little bit surprising to me. Aspen Ladd, I think, I, I, I'm interested to hear what you think. I think... She, like a little bit overrated, maybe, but still. Uh, when I see her as an underdog here, I'm like, "What? How is she an underdog, even though I got her overrated." But uh, yeah, there's. Uh, do you know what? Another thing I'll uh, uh, I'll say on this prelims, Mickey Gall. This is a big fight for Mickey Gall because look, the way he came into the UFC, um, you know, against CM Punk and against uh, against our, our good friend Mike Jackson. It's a big fight for him. He he lost to Alex Morona the last time out. He lost to Mike Perry a couple of times. A couple of fights before that, he beat Jordan Williams. He's training with Ian Gary and the others now over in Sanford MMA. If he doesn't win this fight, he could be looking at his next fight to keep his job. And that's a massive, massive, massive one for him. I kind of, you know, I like Mickey Gall, and I like where he came from. And I like that he kind of represented MMA so well in, in those first couple of fights. And he kind of made a career for himself. I always had a little bit of a soft spot for Mickey Gall. And, um, you know, like Mark Chakasi a couple of weeks ago, I kind of hope, I hope he does well. And I hope he goes on to be a very good fighter and it's a big fight for him as well. So that, would be one to stand out and I'll be watching on, on Saturday night. Just,
1: just before I bring Harry in just for his pick, uh, Spencer about Mickey Gall's opponent, uh, Mike Malay, what do you know about him? What can you tell us about him?
2: So I think you're coming to me because he's a Canadian guy and I have to know about the Canadian guys.
1: Um, he is
2: a Canadian guy. His brother plays hockey in Winnipeg, which is close to where you are. Um, he's, he, so he's been at Team Alpha Male and he's been a striking coach at Team Alpha Male. When they were going through sort of that period where they were cycling through coaches for a while after Bang Ludwig left and Martin Campman came in and they were trying to figure out who it was going to be. He came in as sort of the striking coach and put his own career on hold. He fought good competition the whole way up in his career. In terms of Canadian guys and, and names, you know, one of the guys on there, I believe, is Hakeem Dawadu and stuff like that. Had a very good win when he decided to kind of restart his career over a guy named Solomon Renfro, who's out in CFFC, very good fighter. Then he goes on to the contender series and absolutely blows somebody out, hits that team alpha male guillotine choke and gets his contract. I think he's a, I think he has the potential to be a sort of solid middle of the pack decent welterweight, which is why I'm super interested in this fight because goddamn Mickey Gall needs to beat a guy like this. These are the guys that Mickey Gall historically beats. He's lost to the better competition that he's fought. He's alternated wins and losses since the Sage Northcutt fight, which feels like forever ago. Now it's crazy that Mickey Gall is 30 years old. I like that. He's at Sanford. I hope that he actually settles there because I think one of the things that has been problematic for Mickey Gall and is problematic for young developing fighters is that they keep bouncing around from gym to gym to gym and don't actually take time to build rapport with coaches and really skill build and really skill develop in terms of functional applicable skills. And I think he's kind of bounced around and just been, been a guy that's kind of been into the scene a little bit, wants to be seen training with different people. Joe Schilling, Matt Brown, whoever it's been, but I think the skills are there. I think the, the potential is there. The potential skills are there, but application is another thing, but I think Mike Malott's a a tough fight. It's, it's a good fight for both guys. It's a great measuring stick for both guys to kick off the prelims. I think Mickey Gall absolutely needs it far more than Mike Malott at this point, but it's also one of those fights that like, I can see Mickey Gall losing this fight and losing this fight badly. And us being like, man, what like, how, what a, what a downfall it's been for this guy, even though it hasn't been great, right? It's just, it, it felt like it had such potential. I was at the fight with Mike, with Mike Jackson. I remember that plain as day and thinking, this is, this kid, this kid did it right in that, in that first setup, right? Those first three fights, he did it right. And the whole time, I've, I'm still very much a guy that won't quit Mickey Gall until I absolutely have to. This could be the fight where I have to abandon ship.
1: Well, let's hope, you know, I like Mickey Gall, and I, I like to see him do well. It's been a fun run for him so far in the UFC. So uh, let's hope it can continue on Saturday night. Harry, I'll bring it to you, my friend. Um, Tell us what you're most looking forward to on the prelim section.
0: My, my friend.
3: <laughs> I have a... I have a soft spot for Aspen Lad. I, I really like the way she fights. And I agree with Shorty. actually. I do think she is a little bit overrated. And I think at 135, she's going to be quite undersized too. Uh, from a range perspective, I think predominantly it's going to be a big problem. But if she's able to employ the fighting style that she that she's good at, that gritty, hard-nosed, forehead-first, in-your-chest, grindy sort of fight, She'll do well against Pennington, right? And and I think this is an interesting matchup. I think it's going to be a grinder. She actually tweeted saying that this is a fight that could absolutely get grimy, were her words, and I like that word. That's a great, that's a fantastic word. Um, I think uh, I touch on everything again. If Alexi Oleinik doesn't, uh, Ezekiel Jared Fanderar, we riot, and that's all I have to say.
1: What about the the greatest Brazilian Jiu Jitsu artist to ever compete of all time? after beating Rodolfo Vieira, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez. Any thoughts on him, Harry?
3: Ah, look, I mean, he beat Rodolfo Vieira's soul, you know, like he'd gassed himself so hard. And look, that DAS wasn't even locked in and your man's tapping. So, uh, it is what it is. I think, I think the thing that was impressive the most is. You're like like me standing up for
0: Ian Gary there. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Fuck Jiu-Jitsu. It doesn't even work. Um, but but uh, oh that's how tired I am Jesus, uh, yeah. Look, I don't know a lot about Josh Fremd, um, but I mean here we are. Anthony Hernandez. If I'd love him to, I'd love him to catch a choke. Yeah. I'd love him to catch a choke. Uh, but I mean, you know, does it happen? I don't know. Can, I don't.
0: can we can we nickname Josh? Oh,
3: Fremd.
0: That's what
1: <laughs> yeah. I Shout out to Blake Harrison. Perfect. Spencer, round us off. Overall. Your pick for the prelims fight of the night, please, sir.
2: So I'm going to do the thing where I shout out a couple because I want to give a shout out to Piero Rodriguez and, and Kay Hansen because I still think Kay Hansen is somebody that now that she's got personal stuff and, and health stuff sorted and she's back down at straw weight, which is her correct weight class, she's 22. She's still got a future. Piero Rodriguez is one of those grimy in your face, going to get after it kind of fighters. I think it's going to be a, a fun little scrap early in the night. I agree with Harry that if Alexi Olenek doesn't get an Ezekiel choke, we riot Um, going for win number 60. It's been three straight fights that he hasn't gotten it. I want to see him get it because I love the old dog that just does weird shit that nobody else is ever going to do. Like we're never going to see people pull a guard to hunt Ezekiel chokes ever again, especially not at heavyweight. That's the part that makes it crazy. We may see some like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champions come in at any number of divisions, but in terms of, 44 year old heavyweights that hunt chokes from bottom. It's just not happening. So shout out to him. The pick for me is the Aspen lad fight. Um, I think she is somebody that is now probably maybe even actually like correctly rated. I think she was overrated to start. I think she was propelled up the rankings and, and sort of like projected to be a superstar much faster than she should have been because she was young and, and needed to develop and needed to build skills and things like that. And then she got clocked by Jermaine Durandamy and that kind of slowed. And then she's had a couple of years of of really bad weight cuts and really bad management of her weight and, you know, poor professional decisions is the best way I can put it, the nicest way I can put it. But I do think the skills are there. I do think, as Harry said, when she deploys that, head down, forehead first style, which is a beautiful way of describing it. She can be a pain in the ass. Like we've seen her beat, like she went out and beat the shit out of Tanya Evinger. Now it's Tanya Evinger a little later in her career and Tanya's always been kind of hit or miss, but Tanya was coming in off some good performances and she went out and beat the shit out of her. She had two fights in the UFC, uh, her debut against Lena Landsberg and her fight against Yana Kunitskaya, both where... They're kind of closer than they should be. And she gets in her corner and her coach slash boyfriend, Jim West, kind of gives her the lecture. And then she goes out and just kind of like turns it on and beats the shit out of them. Not just beats them, not just wins, but like she has a ferocity to her when she's locked in. I think the thing for her is all mental. We've talked about mentality throughout this episode. I think it's mental for her. So the biggest thing for me actually about this fight is Friday. She needs to step on that scale and she needs to look great and she needs to have a smile on her face and she needs to give a big flex and have a guy say 135 or 136. That'd be fine. And it not be an issue because then it's just go out and fight. Then it's just go get after it because Ra- Raquel Pennington is going to meet her in the middle and is the kind of person that if she doesn't, if Aspen Ladd doesn't fight her fight, she's going to get picked apart because she can't beat Raquel Pennington at range. She just can't. She's not a good enough boxer. Raquel Pennington been in there with a bunch of people stick the jab in her face. She's looked really good her last three fights, solid enough in the clinch that she could work her way out and and not spend too much time there. But if Aspen lad's healthy, and if she's figured out all this nonsense that has been plaguing her the last couple of years, and she just goes out and fights the way she fights, I think we get a reminder that, holy shit, we thought this girl was going to be a champion or at least a contender at some point, not too far away. And maybe she's getting back there because she's still only 27.
1: Beautiful, absolutely beautiful, I love it and you know, I I hope that happens for her too, I mean she's had a tough time weight cutting took a lot of shit, people talking a lot of shit as well, it's tough when you don't make weight but now's her chance hopefully we'll get to see her in there fighting healthy on Saturday night and before we go uh, one last question for Sean Sheen that's up on on screen right now do you think that Darren can get a do you think Amber? Ah ah no
0: can get an amber? All real nutrition.
1: Get them. All I was real too, nutrition. I was too excited at the start of the podcast and I forgot <laughs> to do I forgot to do the intro. And now I got excited again and dropped the bar. But head on over there to our, our good friends at all real nutrition. Um eatallreal.com. Enter the code word severe mma and get yourself some all Real nutrition bars, some of the nicest protein bars on the market, no doubt. Thanks you to you guys for joining me tonight. I absolutely love, love, love doing this. You have no idea. And it's an absolute pleasure every time. Thank you to everybody for listening. I hope you enjoy the fight Saturday night. Head on over to allreal.com Code word severe MMA. Enjoy the show on Saturday night. Enjoy the fights. And and uh Yup, yup, yup. Being Gary. Olé, olé. Go on. Olé, 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 olé,
0: olé.